And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am doing good. I'm doing good. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good night. <laughs> We're recording later than yes. we normally do. So everything's dark. The sun ain't shining. It shined today, though. I got it, to it drive. Did, it, did, it did shine today. We had some, like pretty much everybody east of the Mississippi, we had some pretty awful weather. It yeah. was ungodly cold. We, I, we got lucky on the eastern seaboard. We didn't really get snow, snow and stuff like that. A lot of other people weren't as fortunate. If yeah. you were a little bit further to the west, like in the Midwest and place like that, upstate New York and sort of like Kentucky, all those places, they they got absolutely hammered. I know. But really we got bad. lucky. It was yeah. just very windy and very cold, but we're on the upswing. We and now it's going to rain for four days straight. Oh, that's right. As long as it's warm. But I'm excited we're here tonight. Um, just for full transparency to the listeners, um, uh Torin will share the topic. Um, I'm sort of going in this um, without really, um, it's kind of like a surprise topic for me. I think I've told her the topic no less than four separate times in the last 48 hours. It's, just, it's like going just through one ear and out the other. So this is this, this is your choice. <laughs> so Please to, riff on that. Today, I want to go over Something that I'm surprised I haven't thought of before, considering mm -hmm. we're like, depending on when this goes up, we're close to 40 episodes in. But that's what to do when your child is first diagnosed. And I think the reason we didn't think of it, because a lot of our audience have worked with you already. So mm -hmm. they're, they're already accepted diagnosis and they know what to do and they know the lingo and things like that. But I want to have an episode where we focus on square one, what to do right out of the doctor's office. You don't know all the vocabularies like interoception and proprioception, sensory, whatever. And you're being told a whole bunch of different stuff from a whole bunch of different people and you're nervous and all of that stuff. How to, how to navigate that? Because that can be a very stressful time for a lot of parents. And I think it, that can really help some people, especially people who are new to this podcast who just got diagnosed and they stumbled upon us, mm -hmm. what can we do to help those people? And I figure there's no better person than you since that's <laughs> sort of like your specialty as the autism sage. Yes, it's it's kind of what I do. Um, even when I'm trying not to do it, um, I end so, up doing it. Uh, this is going to be so, one of those episodes where I just start hammering you with questions like, I know, being, like I know. you're being interrogated by the FBI. That's okay. I'm excited. I like questions. Um, and it's, it's, it's always, you know, I always have a story to tell, but I actually had a session last week before Christmas, and it was a family that I was working with, but they didn't have an official diagnosis. And so they met with me and I could see the look on dad's face. And he said, we got a diagnosis level three. Um, so I wanted to go into my, you know, oh, life is wonderful, you know, Stacy mode. And um, I started and then I had to stop. Because even though I had been working with this family, it was still new, right? Even though we were already working on strategies and talking about some of those things, it was now official, right? And so a lot of our listeners, um, you know, you may have um, known that your child was autistic. You may have started intervention if you got an early intervention, but there is definitely a difference when it's written down on paper, right? When someone has sort of validated and everyone has a different response, right? Some parents are um, happy. They finally got the diagnosis because they knew um, and they're ready um, to do the work. And then some parents are struggling because they're not really sure what that means. And some parents are just confused um, and denial, grief, whatever the feelings that people have. Um, but what I, I will say, um, and I'll, I'll sort of answer this question as if I'm talking to the client that I spoke with. Um, and I tell parents all the time, you have a diagnosis. And the first thing I want you to do is remember, it's the same child that you had yesterday. It's the same child you're going to have tomorrow. Your child hasn't changed, right? They're the same 
um, you know, hand flapping or stimming or meltdown or, um, uh, you know, lining up uh, toys, child, whatever it is that they were doing before is the same child. So it doesn't mean a stamp of, oh my gosh, their life is over. Now, that's hard for a lot of parents to sort of um, wrap their head around because the next thing I say to parents is, really listen to what the doctor says all the time, right? Take what you can from it and then do your own research. And um, research not necessarily on Google, um, sometimes research uh, with a um, support group in your area or an organization in your area where you can actually reach out to other parents that are in your area. Because I think it's great to start there because a lot of times, when you start doing the Google search, that brings you down the rabbit hole for disaster sometimes. And sometimes it can bring you um, on the uh, the <laughs> line of, I'm ready to do the work. And then you overload yourself with too much, right? You try to do too much at one time. So definitely as, as um, depending on how you sort of take on things um, as a parent, don't jump in and overload yourself. There is no deadline rush. There is no timeline. Um, it is really important to understand what that means. What does that mean for your child being an autistic individual? And so understanding that's where the empowerment comes in, um, learning the terminology, uh, figuring out, you know, what is this therapy? What is the therapy? The doctor said ABA. What is this speech therapy? A lot of parents put their children in occupational therapy, speech therapy, ABA. They have no idea what that therapy is or what it's supposed to do. None. So you need to know what you're looking for, you need to know what to ask for, and you need to know what to expect from a therapist. So definitely, you know, educate yourself, but don't overwhelm yourself. And so that's why I always think it's great if you can start locally, because then the resources will be local. You know, it's, it's tough when you go in a Facebook group and somebody says, oh, you know, my community, blah, 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 my school does this, and they live in another state. And you can't ask for that because that's not offered in your area. So start local and sometimes Facebook groups are a good way to start that or just go to, um, you can Google search um, autism organizations in your area. So the first thing is just remember, it's the same kiddo that you just love and adore that sometimes drives you crazy and sometimes you're just confused and you don't understand, but it's the same child that you love. And now you have sort of this, name, right, this autism name that is going to guide you in a direction that now you know you have to go into, right? Um, and that's why sometimes just getting the diagnosis, even though it can be overwhelming, it's like, okay, now I know, now I need to know what to do, right? Because if you don't know, it's like anything. If you, you know, have pains in your stomach and you have to go and get testing, testing, even though you may get devastating news, at least you know, right? Or news you weren't expecting. Um, so thinking in terms of don't always look at it as it's the end of your child's life. Um, and don't let, and I know this is really hard, but doctors typically don't know what autism is. Um, they don't know what autistic individuals need, and they don't even know what the therapies that are being recommended are. I mean, they really don't know. And I can say this because I've actually asked them, like I've actually had conversations to find out what is it that you know? Um, and it's interesting because I have a lot of parents who come to me as clients and they are doctors and they will say things like, oh, um, yeah, you know, because I, I know about autism. I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a physician. I'm a pediatrician. And they really have no clue, right? Because they don't work with autistic children. They've not had training. They've just seen the word and whatever training that they've had. And I'm not trying to disregard doctors. I'm saying that it is a journey. Um, it's a new journey for you to learn something new and you're going to learn it. Um, and it's going to be internally motivating for you because it's directly related to your child. Um, and your child is, is the person that you wanna help. Um, in terms of getting them to be the person that they're supposed to be in this world. Because that's what I, I sort of look at it as now we know, um, what do we do so that they can be who they're supposed to be? Because everyone has a place in this world, whatever that place is, and everyone has a purpose. And so we have to help our kids um, get to the point where they can 
fulfill that purpose? That's my quick answer. <laughs> and I'm not sure if this is super relevant, but it might be. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Can you define what level one, two, and three autism is, like the criteria for that and um, how those get diagnosed? Yes. Um, so I will first say <laughs> um, that is one of the next things that I say to parents is ignore the level. It's just a number. Ignore the level. It's just a number. Um, and so I have embraced and accepted the fact that the number has a purpose, right? The purpose is to get services because unfortunately insurance companies or organizations or schools or whatever, um, early intervention, they, um, and depends on what country you live in, what state you live in, they determine services based on levels of severity, which is shameful because they're insinuating that a level one doesn't need help and a level three needs help. And that's just like, not right. You don't say that to someone who has a moderate hearing loss to someone who has a severe um, hearing loss. Oh, we can only work with the one that's severe because they're level three, right? The one number one who can kind of hear a little bit, they'll be okay. Um, so the levels are uh, necessary for services. And they're also just part of the society we live in, right? We live in a society that looks at numbers, grades um, to get into things, test scores, um, numbers are used for lots of things. We do surveys, they ask for numbers. So the reality is that the levels are determined based on the services needed, right? And of course, that's how they attach what service you're going to get. So a lot of folks in the autism community are now saying instead of level one, level two, level three, they'll say my child has high needs or my child has a high level of service needs, right? There's certain ways that people like to wrap it in a bow, put frosting on it so that it sounds better. Um, but let me read the criteria so that um, everyone can kind of get um, an idea. So if you think of uh, level one, um, the requiring support, right? That's how they literally base it. It says level one requiring support. And they will say the support is difficulty um, initiating social interactions, right? Um, organization and planning problems can hamper independence. So that may be a child that communicates verbally because everyone assumes that they communicate verbally, oh, they're just fine. So those are kids that maybe have some uh, behavior um, uh, issues, challenges that are flagging to get to the point where they have to do a diagnosis. And so that's where they fall under the level one. These these were these used to be what you call Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. every like every like engineer you know who has like zero social skills mm -hmm. but is like really good at his job. Like yeah. that that's that that's your level one quote yeah. unquote. Exactly. So like I would be defined as a level one. Yes. So I think I was diagnosed back before they had the levels, levels. but if I was yeah. diagnosed now I'd be I'd be diagnosed a level one. And, and I will say that, um, you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years uh, in terms of working and learning within the autism community. And I remember when we didn't have levels and I remember when they changed the DSM-5 and everyone was diagnosed autistic and then we needed levels because they could, that was a way to weed out not providing services. I mean, that was really a way to weed out. If you're level one, you're not a priority for services. And of course we know that resources are low everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so back that, then they, they called you Asperger's. That's how they weeded yes. you out. So you yes. had Asperger, back then you had Asperger's, high functioning autism, which were mm -hmm. two different things. Yes. And the diagnosis between the diagnosis criterias were so subjective. It's yes. the reason they, they blended it together because it was basically just people pulling out of their asses. And mm -hmm. then you had classical autism. Exactly. So effectively, you had levels. It just didn't have the word levels. You just there were no numbers. Yeah, you yeah. just didn't have the numbers. You mm -hmm. just had three interrelated disorders with diagnosis criteria that, quite frankly, were being written by monkeys on typewriters. Yes, yes, that made no sense to what was really going on. So if we look at level two, requiring substantial support, right? So level two is social interactions are limited to narrow special interest. 
frequent restricted repetitive behaviors, right? So those are our kids who are doing what? Regulating and stimming, which is fine. Um, so of course they're level two because we have to stop that stimming. It's socially inappropriate. Uh, and then because they like to talk about trains or automobiles or the weather, then clearly we need to fix that and they're a level two, right? So we need to get that substantial support so that they can expand their conversation topics and stop the flapping. Um, and of course, I'm sure you all can hear the, is that sarcasm in my voice? Or yeah, what is that? that would be sarcasm, yes. Really, I really don't understand sarcasm. I'm a speech therapist and I swear I've been trying to figure out sarcasm forever and I still don't really get it. I get it, but I don't get it. Um, that's because you're not British. The British are basically the masters of sarcasm. Maybe that's why I like their humor. I do like British humor. All right, so level three. Wait, that's all it says for level two? Yes, that's it. Stop level flapping. two just sounds like a continue. It sounds like level two sounds sounds less like a problem than level one. Exactly. Level and one's with, level one's criteria is they have issues that make it so they can't function in life. Level yes. two is that they just talk about the same shit over and over and annoy people so with it, their stimming. So it sounds like it should be the other way around. Yes. Like level yes. two should be level one. So so what's level three? What's interesting is the way they describe in the levels that it has to do with social interactions. Nobody ever talks about communication. It's only, are they engaging? Are they socializing? So that's what they want to fix. But no one addresses communication, which is a huge problem for me with a background in speech therapy and just a human being that understands communication is critical um, for anything um, and especially socializing. <laughs> you can't communicate, you can't socialize, just a little PSA. All right, so now we get to level three. And it says requiring very substantial support. And that is severe deficits in verbal error and nonverbal social communication skills. So typically these are kids that are non-speaking. Um, great distress, difficulty changing action or focus. So these are our kids that are what? Not regulated and they're in distress melting down a lot because no one understands their needs. <laughs> Yeah, so the problem, the, it, for, for, for those listening, you probably see the large problem with the levels. They're effectively a snapshot of what sort of day the autistic person is having at the time of testing, because they are so close to each other. All they basically are is, if the autistic person is having a bad day, they're going to pop as level three. I would pop as level three if I was, like, I had an awful night uh, last night. Was it last night? What's, what's today? Today is Thursday. Thursday. So Monday. I had, no, yes, Monday. I had an awful night on Monday, completely melted the hell down, right, at the gym. Not good. I would have tested as a level three because all mm -hmm. I was doing was talking about all the, I have, I have a lot, I have a lot on my plate right now, but mm -hmm. all I was doing was talking about all the stuff I have and how I can't sort it all out. And I was yelling, I was very angry, and I really couldn't express myself. I'm getting popped at level two at least. Yeah, yeah. Or if they caught me at that moment. Yep. So that's the issue in and of itself. The levels, as you mentioned, are just for services. But the problem with that is that the services are based off what sort of day the autistic kid was having mm -hmm. at the time of testing. So the yes. services that they're getting that the levels allow you to get might not actually match up to the services the child needs. Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm actually glad I did bring this up because that is very important to understand mm -hmm. if your kid just got diagnosed. Yes. That the severity meter, for lack of a better word, is completely arbitrary. They, yes. they, they pull out of their asses. It's very arbitrary. And so to sort of validate that, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to name out the list of things, right? Difficulty initiating social interactions. Organization and planning problems can hamper independence. Social interactions limited to narrow special interest. Frequent restricted repetitive behaviors. Severe deficits in verbal or nonverbal social communication skills. Great distress, difficulty changing actions or focus. All of those things can be experienced by any autistic individual at any point in the day, depending on many things, right? That is why it is a spectrum. It is not a level, what did you say, arbitrary. It's arbitrary, there is no severity. Now, I am not going to argue that there are circumstances where there are individuals, when I'm speaking in terms of children, who have a lot of challenges, but I will push back and say, I'm not arguing that there are not other um, 
um, medical um, uh, sort of, um, what would be the word, diagnosis, um, for lack of a better term, that come along with that. And I do know that- Co-occurring co conditions. Thank you, co-occurring. I could not remember that word. Uh, but I, I will say every time I see um, a horrible news story or some documentary that's trying to, you know, make the martyr mom parent situation for an autistic individual, what I always notice is the person in the video, the autistic individual never has access to any communication. It's like a 15, 14 year old and there's no, no communication in place and clearly because everyone's restraining them, they're not able to regulate themselves. So I always go back to, and this goes back to your original question, what do you do next, right? You now, you now say, okay, this is a journey. We have a word, we have to understand that word. Everybody processes it differently. So if you are parenting with someone else, please know that your, your co-parent, your spouse, your partner, will process it differently. And everybody has to be allowed to process the diagnosis in their own way, um, including grandparents. Um, so just keep that in mind that everybody processes things differently. But in that processing stage, um, to avoid having the news story, the horrible, challenging, oh my gosh, the YouTube video that the mom posts that is so demeaning um, to put her child in, in a situation where everybody has to see that embarrassing moment during a meltdown. Communication, find out your child's sensory needs. Communication, communication, communication. And that doesn't just mean talking. Yes. That's the thing, find yes. a way, a, a method of communication. That could mean obviously verbal, but that could also mean a few devices, sign language, yes. simple things like even pointing and grunting, things like that. Some way the child can communicate their basic needs to you. That is so important. But I also yes. want to add that during the processing period, mm -hmm. please don't do anything irrational. Don't do anything crazy. Don't don't change the kids' diets. Don't put them on some keto diet or some <laughs> alkaline diet. Don't freaking pumped through an exorcism and i wish i was joking about that one um i know don't start do there they're going to try to push you here's another thing i want to bring up they are going to try to push you into therapy just mm -hmm. so you know they're going to try to push you through aba and they're mm -hmm. going to tell you if you don't do aba you're a terrible parent you're failing your child and the kid is absolutely positively screwed if you don't have early intervention ABA. That is the only way your child will ever have a life if you do that. They're going to pound that into your skull relentlessly and any sort of slight pushback is going to have them all but straight up tell you you're a terrible parent. They might even just tell you you're a bad parent depending on the doctor. So I, you need to be prepared for that. That's ABA, I wanna get into ABA and the problems of ABA is not the solution but that's what they're going to try to push you through because it's simple. There's a lot of money behind it. And like, and like you mentioned, most doctors don't know autism. They just know early intervention, which is true. Early intervention is very, very important. But Stacy, I'd like to get you, get you to get into real quick. And this might be hard to do real quick, but to get into the reasons why ABA is probably not the best uh, treatment for their child and what some alternatives could be and why ABA isn't one of the best treatments for their child. So I'll, 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 I'll definitely answer that. I wanna sort of precursor it with, um, oh gosh, oh, early intervention. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's, I don't know if you're aware of it, but in some of the parent groups and some of the autistic led groups, there's like even pushback on early intervention because some people feel like you're trying to change your child to be neurotypical, right? So, so those are usually done by autistic adults who put to hell who I don't know. currently have kids. If you hear, exactly. an, I'm glad you mentioned that. If you hear an autistic person say early intervention's bad, just ignore them. They've been, they had bad early intervention. They're traumatized. And instead of processing it like a fucking adult, mm -hmm. they've decided to spew bullshit on the internet. And forgive me for my language. They've decided to just fill Twitter and social mm -hmm. media with more BS because that's what social media needs. So if you hear stuff from autistic individuals, just if it sounds like bullshit, just ignore them because they are full of crap. And there's like they like Elon Musk needs to put like a little check mark, like dumb autistic person who doesn't have children. 
And every time one of those people pops off, like I'll take one of those check marks. I don't have I don't have children. Like I'll I'll let him put a check mark next to my name if I could put a check mark next to some of these dumb assholes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I digress. Keep going. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we passion. We're all passionate about something. Um, and I know that you know for you, Torin, it's frustrating when autistic individuals, you know, we're finally getting a platform where we can get information, and parents are reaching out, and then they get information that is so. Um, incorrect based off of their own self-hatred or trauma or whatever it is that um, they're stupid. They're, they're stupid. That's just all it is. They're stupid. Yeah. Be, being autistic does not make you immune from being an idiot. That is true. That is true. So early intervention. Um, what I will say is I think that you know, I look at early intervention and of course, you know, I'm a speech therapist or my background is speech therapy. I'm not supposed to say I'm a speech therapist because I'm not licensed anymore because I don't work as a speech therapist anymore. But, um, uh, and as an early interventionist, um, I think that I look at early intervention as not intervening to necessarily stop the disorder or fix the disorder um, yes, to build skills. It was the early concept of getting them ready for school, right? Like early, you know, preemie babies and all that is where early intervention kind of started. But I look at early intervention as just a proactive approach, right? Like proactively saying, okay, let's see what we can do to build communication, right? Let's get what therapy intervention is needed. But I will also say that early intervention in my opinion, it's not supposed to be this intensive therapeutic environment routine for children. There is no timeline, right? Um, the brain is, you know, they used to say after five. That's not true anymore. People with brain injuries as adults are were able to um, regain skills. So it's important to know that there is no rush. Um, I know sometimes we feel like school is a timeline, but um, that just that means nothing. Like literally, um, school cannot dictate anyone's developmental stages. And I'm an educator and I love education, but every individual human being is different at gaining skills at different times, including reading levels, math, and fine motor skills. And um, autistic people tend to be late bloomers at that. So we tend to we tend to develop skills late. We tend to develop skills in leaps and bounds, meaning mm-hmm. we'll just figure some stuff out one day that we yeah. weren't able to do prior. Mm-hmm. And we'll just suddenly learn how to do it. That's actually very common, especially yes. if autistic kids get older. It's weird and no one knows why, but that, that happened with me and it happened with all the autistic children I've worked with. Most of them, they just develop skills some days. So mm-hmm. it, it really, you really can't, there, there isn't a rush. Yes, you should do something. Yes, you should yes. get early intervention. Just like if you broke your leg, would you leave that, would you leave that limb just to sort of chill? For three weeks before you put in the cast? No, you put it immediately. But yeah. if your child gets diagnosed at nine, you don't have to go, oh, well, because we can get them diagnosed at three, it's too late for early intervention. Yeah, it's never exactly. Fun. Exactly. There are adults who get early intervention. Yes. So when I when I'm talking to a parent who has a child under the age of two and they get an early diagnosis, right? Um, I tell the parent. There's no need, certainly, you don't put your child in 40 hours of ABA. That's just torturous, and that's not even developmentally appropriate, and I think it's actually unethical. Um, That's my feeling on that situation. However, I think that it is important to um, find, if you are able to, um, either a speech therapist or an early interventionist um, that understands how to build some um, communication, because you know, sign language or just pointing and having usually a lot of toddlers, you can do the sign language, basic signs, um, because most toddlers aren't having conversations anyway, right? It's just to request their needs and wants. So I always tell parents, get away. You can even do it on your own. You can look on YouTube, just teach some signs to your child and then give them a way to say what they want, because that will take away a lot of that frustration from your child, but also from you, because you'll know exactly what they want. The other part is Um, I think a lot of early intervention for children under the age of two is, I just tell parents, you know, get someone on board, work on communication. If you can, and you have access to someone who can help you understand their sensory needs, that's wonderful. If not, read a book, take a training on your own, because that will help your child to maintain 
um, regulation, but also help to build communication skills because if you're regulated, you can communicate. But um, I think one of the biggest things that's important for the early intervention at that age is just sit and watch and observe your child and get to know them. You know, that's part of that following your child's lead. If your child likes trains, if they like shapes, go with that, right? Um, I will share a story because this is a story about a child who is within that age range. And um, this was a client uh, with a little two-year-old and she was taking the train tracks of like the little Thomas the Train wooden tracks and just banging them on the floor, the kitchen floor. And so dad, you know, was not happy with that. That's not the way you play with them. And he wanted them to be picked up. So mom, who had been working with me, um, had the idea to videotape it and send it to me and ask me if it was sensory based. And because this mom sat, watched and observed her child, we learned her child was making the music and the tune and using the tracks with the right tone that she was very particular about choosing to Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars. I was blown away when I saw the video the first time I had to rewind it and make sure that I wasn't just like Stacy loving autism, right? And played it back with the mom and the mom said, oh my gosh, that's her favorite song. So that is a moment where if the mom would have not stopped and if she would have gone with the dad's perspective of don't let her play with it that way, she would have missed out on realizing her child had a musical talent or was interested or could, you know, maybe she'll be a music writer. I don't know. But clearly the two-year-old was doing something that she never would have realized if she wouldn't have stopped, observed, and took the time to try to understand it. So for children that age, I think part of it is instead of trying to get your child to do what you want them to do or what the other children are doing, just watch what they're doing. And that within itself will shift your child's world, which shifts everything. So that's my advice on early intervention. And then when we get into two, three, four, five, you know, if you get a diagnosis um, before school, Yes, typically they will say go to ABA therapy because most doctors think it is a behavior disorder that, uh, you know, they just need to control themselves and be, you know, thrown treats to sit down because that's how you train autistic people, right? I mean, it I've works for dogs, it works for autistic people. Yeah. I that's, that's, how they, that's how they see it. I literally had a doctor tell me that, literally said, we can make them do anything if we give them a food they like. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, like, uh, like, oh my gosh. So people have that perspective. Um, and some people are controlling. And so they love to be, you know, some sort of uh, behaviorist or someone who is in charge of children. Um, so the problem I have with throwing the ABA therapy to a parent for a very young child is number one, how can you justify trying to correct behaviors that are directly related to a lack of ability to communicate without building communication first? How can you try to reinforce, change, stop, or modify, get rid of a behavior that is a direct result of a child self-regulating using their hands or spinning before you've even addressed their sensory needs? My, my thing is, and I have, you know, a lot of people may or may not know this, but I do have a master certification in BCBA. I understand applied behavior analysis. I have training and I'm not disagreeing with the strategy. The strategy is very effective. And I'm not saying that sometimes we don't have to use applied behavior analysis um, strategies with anyone, well, right? Which is what ABA stands for. We should have said it up front, applied yeah. behavior analysis. Yes. And I'm, I'm sorry to step in here, but yes, ABA will work depending on your parameters. So one of the founders of ABA was also one of the founders of gay, gay conversion therapy. So gay conversion therapy will work if your goal is to make them stop being gay in front of you. Yes. Same thing with ABA. Yes. Make them stop being autistic in front yes. of you yes. in the moment. Yes. It'll work. 
Or if your goal is to completely traumatize the child, both are very good for that. Yes. So they work. Just like if you want to lose weight, snorting Coke will make you lose weight or meth will make you lose weight. Mm -hmm. Is it the best thing? No. Is it going to take years off your life? Yes. Is it illegal? In the case of ABA and gay first therapy, it should be. (laughs) But it works. Just because something quote unquote works under certain parameters doesn't mean it's good. Yes. And that's what that that's why I want to um impart. But what are some alternatives? Because they are going to be told mm-hmm. very authoritatively that they yes. need ABA or that they're terrible parents. Yes. And they don't, I, they're terrible parents. I what actually are- had a parent that was told by the pediatrician when she went back the next year, and the pediatrician said, How is ABA going? And the parent said, I chose not to do ABA for my two-year-old and we've been doing speech therapy and occupational therapy and he's making great progress and the pediatrician literally said if you don't get him an ABA I might have to report you I don't like to see parents disrespected and I think it's horrible when parents are informed of a diagnosis and made to feel bad or not informed of what autism is or or anything I have an old training module that I did um, uh, and I keep saying I want to redo it, but I, I guess it's got sentimental value because it was my first sort of recording where I just kind of talked about autism. And one of the things I said was that I started doing this work with parents because I was so frustrated when I would go into homes and no one had ever told a parent what autism was. I went into a home, I was 16 Because they don't know what autism no. is. That's why and they're thought, not, not telling them. Yes, and I thought, oh my gosh, like you, when you have a child that has a diagnosis for Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, they give you pamphlets, they tell you where it's support. They give you all kinds of information. Diabetes, they bring you into a room and they explain to you, no one says anything. And I thought, this is horrible. No wonder parents are so frustrated and not knowing what to do at home. Um, so let me see what I can do to help with that, right? And so here I am, I don't know how many years later, um, trying to, to help parents understand what autism is because it's not being explained. Um, and it's not really you know, about understanding the definition. It really is about what does that mean for your child, right? Because every, every child is different. But I'm gonna go back to sort of the therapy, right? Um, in terms of listing the other options. One of the things that, that I think a lot of parents have issues with is if a doctor's telling you this, they're supposed to be a position, they're mm-hmm. supposed to be an authority. Mm-hmm. And most doctors are not going to tell you, listen, I don't know that much about what this is. Exactly. Some of them will, but most won't. Yes. So it's hard to stand up to somebody who's in a position of authority over you. Because yes. what you're going to tell the doctor, the guy went to school. Like whenever I question a doctor, my aunt's like, oh, but you went to medical school. And I always say, the reason I don't trust like the doctors on TV is because I didn't go to medical school and they could be lying to my face. And I wouldn't know better. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to find that balance. You get yes. what I mean? Yes. Yes. And and I know that I have a different personality um, than a lot of my parents, I'm told, uh, because I am a firm believer that no disrespect to my child's pediatrician, I chose the pediatrician very carefully. Um, In fact, I will share a little parent tip. Um, Whenever I chose a any kind of medical person for my children, I had 10 questions. I called the list of references. I asked them 10 questions. If they didn't answer one of the questions the way I wanted them to answer in regards to what I wanted from my child's medical care, I did not go with that doctor. Do you remember what the questions were? I don't. I don't. I mean, I could tell you a few of them. I was, you know, I don't want any pushback on, I don't want antibiotics given. I want my own vaccination schedule. I'm going to breastfeed for a long time. Will you support that? Um, Just a lot of different things in terms of um, what I wanted for my kids uh, and the way I wanted to parent. So when I go into a doctor's office, um, I totally respect the doctor as a physician, but I am the authority over my child and whether I'm right, wrong, or indifferent. And I have parents that have made choices that I don't agree with, but it's their child, right? Everybody has a right to make decisions for their child. Um, but I want parents to make informed decisions and you have a right to make whatever decision you want and no one should judge you for that. Um, so in terms of those other alternatives, uh, I, you know, of course, speech therapy, right. In terms of getting communication in place, um, 
Occupational therapy, I know there's a lot of sort of pushback on, you know, don't say that every child needs occupational therapy. And my pushback on that is fine. They didn't, I didn't say they needed occupational therapy, but I said that you should go and get an evaluation to see, to get a sensory profile. If you can find an occupational therapist that is trained um, to do that, but make sure that you go in because there are a lot of children that I have worked with, um, a lot of children that, um, you know, the parents that I've coached, where no one sent them to an occupational therapist because they said it wasn't necessary or no one mentioned it. And then when they go to get an evaluation, there's so many reasons why their child is struggling in school. No one addressed bilateral coordination. No one realized they had retained primitive reflexes. These are things that you want to know when you get a diagnosis because the reality of it is, it's not about fixing the autism. It is about understanding what supports your child needs. And then you can put a plan together to help build the foundation, the foundation of communication, sensory regulation, fine motor, motor planning. All of those things are the foundation. Once you get the foundation in place, everything else falls in place with a little guidance and sometimes no guidance, but it all falls in place. So Thinking of it in terms of it is, um, it's important to recognize that there are other options. Play therapy is great, right? But play therapy with someone who play, who does play therapy with autistic individuals specifically, right? Not just any play therapist. And going back to a speech therapist and an occupational therapist, I am a firm believer and parents have a right to ask the therapist what is your experience with working with autistic individuals? What training do you have in regards to how to help uh, an autistic child develop communication, not developing speech? That's not what a speech therapist does with an, with a, with an autistic child. It's different. It's a different approach. And so understanding that approach is important. That's why a lot of times parents say speech therapy didn't work. That's why I went to ABA because the speech therapist was doing traditional speech therapy, not speech therapy that is designed for building communication skills for an autistic individual. So ask those questions, but also the other therapies. I love music therapy for autistic kiddos. I loved when we had a music therapist. They're hard to find because there are not a lot of jobs because insurance doesn't pay. And usually it's the first therapist to be cut in the school system. Well, that's, that's actually a lot of the issues with, I don't mean to cut you off, but a lot of the issues with the alternatives are yes. in New York, where I, where I grew up, they do cover occupational speech therapy, but they will, for example, they would only cover either physical therapy or occupational therapy. You have to choose. Mm -hmm. So they'll try to limit that as opposed to ABA where they'll sort of sell ABA as a catch-all for everything. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're in a situation where that is your only option, ABA or no, because oftentimes that is unfortunately the only option, mm -hmm. especially lately is more and more like as more and more states have Medicaid yes. uh, covering ABA, mm -hmm. that's oftentimes your only option. What are some of the things you could do to limit the damage if that's if you have to put your child in ABA? Um, I always tell parents, um, make sure that you're able to either view the therapy through a two-way mirror or they will um, have a camera for Wait, you to- say, say mirror again. A two-way mirror. Mirror. Ah, did I say it funny? Mira. That's Mira. So funny. There's no A in, but no, yes, I, I agree. I agree. I'm making fun of Stacy's Southern accent. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I said by the guy who has a stereotypical like New York City, <laughs> A, you got a bacon, egg, and cheese accent. So I understand this is very much the popcorn, the kettle black. Oh but my yes, God. Said, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the, those, yeah, are all, yeah. those are all those are all very important things. Make you, sure you can serve you should, a mirror. Exactly. And you should be a part of the goal planning. If you are approached with the nope, everybody has to start here, everybody has to go through this. That is not what you want for your child. Um, some of my parents who don't have any other options will say, I don't want you to work on imitation. I don't want you to stop stimming. I want to make sure they have sensory um, activities. You can request that. You should be a part of your child's ABA therapy program and planning and also be able to see and view some parts of it, right? I'm not saying you have to watch every minute. Um, but you should be involved. And definitely one of the biggest things that I want parents to know, because this is one of my biggest pet peeves, is when 
ABA says you don't need a speech therapist to teach communication. They can do that too. They are big on, BCBA folks are big on saying, hey, don't step on our lane with behavior. So don't step on a speech therapist lane because that's not your lane. Communication is different than behavior. I understand the concept of speaking behavior, blah, 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 but it is different um, than reinforcement. We don't learn communication and language on reinforcement. That's not how we- On top of that, many ABA technicians got their degree during a weekend course taught in the back of a gas station bathroom. It's 40 hours online, 40 hours, because the BCBAs who are qualified with credentials, they just hire young folks yeah. to basically they, they, they got their they got their certification mm-hmm. in the back of that gas you know how everyone knows that gas station and like the boonies where they sell crack out of that's where these <laughs> people are getting their certifications from <laughs> like they're in like the n- next to crack dealer that's that that's where they're learning about aba yes. so a big issue with that is it's being taught and administered by people who don't know what the clue what the hell they're doing they have no clue what they're actually doing because it's, the, it's the rbt's the rbt's and all the rbt's have to take is 40 hours and it can be online yes they do have to be observed and supervised for minimal hours when, when, when i was in youth development i had to be trained for 40 hours and i was observed none of us are trained to actually work with kids yeah. and there's, like, that's there's 40 no, hours ain't shit that's like what no, they train cops for there's no talking about what autism is either or understanding the autistic individual, which I think is very important. However, um, just to reiterate on the 40 hours, I myself took three different programs and did their 40 hour online training. And what's amazing to me is, yes, you do have to take a test, right? But you have access to the information. It's like an open book test. So it's not even a test that you have to know the information to say that you're certified, which is very disheartening to me um, because that says just anybody can sort of do it. Um, uh, But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about your options and what to do when you get a diagnosis. So let me recap on the therapy. So the doctors typically will say ABA, right? But we want to look for other options to build communication skills and meet their sensory needs and make sure there's no occupational therapy needs as well. So look for speech therapy, occupational therapy. If you can find a great music therapist, especially if you have a little one, it's great, but you can also use it for older kids. I have several older kiddos who um, have a musical therapy, a music therapist, but sometimes you can actually find a music teacher who is just really good with kids. And right, that's really part of it. Um, That can be, especially if you have a kiddo that shows an interest in singing or music, it can be beneficial. A play therapist who is um, familiar with um, um, autism and that's what they do on a regular basis. And there's some other things. There's RDI, relationship, uh, I can never remember these acronyms everyone talks in. Relationship development intervention, there's floor time. um, There's lots of other things. Uh, But what I will say is, the, the thing that's important, and this is what I, I, I coach my parents on, is you really just need to look and observe and understand your child. You know your child, but now you need to learn and understand it in relation to, oh, okay, now that I understand that they're autistic and sensory, and that means proprioceptive, and now I see why, so now I'm going to support them and meet their needs. That's the part that is critical because everyone doesn't have access to therapy. Everyone can't get therapy without a wait list. And so while you're waiting, um, I work with lots of families who are even waiting for an official diagnosis. You can learn, you can get coaching from myself. You can, there are other folks out there that have classes and courses for parents. There are other parent coaches that parent uh, that coach on specific things, right? Um, so you can learn on your own, it doesn't, you don't have to be your child's therapist, but you can learn strategies to, to sort of build that communication. And, and I am a firm believer in um, parents are not therapists. Um, your child wants you to be their parent. They don't want you to be their therapist, but you can, and this is what I teach my parents, you can immerse therapeutic strategies within the natural context of things that you already do with your child. You're just doing it with what I call your parenting with intent of building a skill set. Because now that you understand, then the things that you typically do, you can kind of use that to build communication. Um, A lot of times it's really simple stuff. Like, you know, parents will sometimes say, 
Um, you know, my, my child always wants to jump on the trampoline. And once they understand their sensory profile, they get a tramp, I mean, jump on the sofa. So once they understand, they get a trampoline, they give their child access to regulate. And so problem solved, right? They're not jumping on the sofa anymore, which before what would have happened? An ABA therapist would have came in and tried to get them and reinforce them to stop jumping on the sofa. And now you have a child who's dysregulated. And so other behaviors are going to come up so, and that's how they keep them in behavior therapy. In other words, someone who once again, got their certification back at the gas station where they sell crack at, would come into my house and tell my child to stop jumping on the sofa. Yes. See, that, like I, I put it that way, one to be tongue in cheek, but mm -hmm. also to put it in perspective, when we act like ABA is the holy grail of everything, it's, it's a bunch of dudes in their 20s, a bunch of people in their 20s who just need a job, who got basically no training. It's youth development. That's what I did. When I say I work with kids, I was in youth development. That's what it is. A bunch of kids in their 20s who get about 40 hours of training, and we kind of just slap dash things together. And that's why I'm, I'd be very wary about sending your kids back to school. But that is a discussion for another day. Stacy, as we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes, um, I think it is also very important. I'll recap on remembering that um, the other parent, uh, uh, whoever you're parenting with, uh, it's a process for them that may look different from you. So try not to get frustrated if you are the parent that has to do all the research or if you are the parent that has to find all the things. More than likely, you're the parent that organizes everything anyway, right? Um, there's always one that does the detailed stuff and, and one parent that does, I don't know, the, the, the big stuff, whatever that looks like. So try to avoid getting caught in that frustration. Um, also give a little grace if one parent um, is in denial. Um, and, and let them go through the process. And, and education is the way to help them through the process. Um, not demanding that they get over it because that never works. Uh, but I will also say modeling. Um, so if you are the parent that starts to really get into it, you're on board, you're doing the work and you're you know, implementing some sign language, something simple like more um, and it's, it's effective, a lot of times when the other parent sees that, they start to do it. They may not let you see it all the time, but they'll start to do it. And then they start coming around. Um, everybody just processes things differently. And then your next step is when you get a diagnosis and if you have to sit with it, if you have to think about it, if you have to read on it, do your research, get a plan, um, whatever it is you need to do um, to feel comfortable with this next step, because I think the next step, it's important to get your support system. Uh, you need to get one person, start with one person. That can be a family member, that can be a friend. Um, it can be your spouse, right? But you want to get someone who is going to support you during whatever it is that you have to, whether it's you know frustrated because people don't understand, whether you're in tears because you feel like you never know what to cook because they don't eat anything that you cook, whether you are, you know, running around trying to find a therapist, um, you need someone to support and you only need one. And if you get one, more will follow because when, when they see how wonderful things are for you and your child, they will follow. Not everyone will follow, but most people will follow. So the support system is important. No, I, I agree with that. So Stacy, mm -hmm. I love everything you had to say. I think wow. you're going to help a lot of people. And that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. And we can start when we first get a diagnosis. Exactly. Yes. See ya. Bye. If you'd like to help marginalized youth receive access to books and other learning materials, often inaccessible in many parts of the country, please consider buying the VQ Library of Coffee at Ko-Fi. Link in the description.